Hello and welcome back to another We Are podcast, briefing, video, whatever you like to call it. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. Another tricky game for Sunderland, isn't it, off the back of the midweek? You know, it's been good to speak to Michael Beale there this morning, so plenty to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, that's the reason behind a little bit of the delay in the video this morning. Obviously, we were down at the Academy Light speaking with Michael Beale. Before we get into that, we'll just obviously touch on um, the game on, on Wednesday night. You were there, Joe. It was a tough one, wasn't it? it some no nowhere near their best, really, were they? No, they weren't. Um, I think that's as a collective across the board. You know, I mean, if, recent weeks we've sort of been able to turn to Jack Clark and, and look at his impact and, you know, say, well, if it's not, if something doesn't happen through him, then it's not going to happen at all. But it couldn't even happen through him on, on Wednesday night. Huddersfield had a really good measure on him. Um, Matty Pearson and Jack Rodoni really did a, a good number on him, you know, doubling up on him and sort of a bit of rough and tumble and a physical approach, something which we will come on to, I, I imagine, very shortly when we discuss today's press conference. But but that set, it set the tone from the off, to be honest, for me. Um, Huddersfield really sort of got at them. And certainly in midfield, someone just couldn't really get a foot on the ball and it was a little bit disjointed for me if I'm honest you know we looked at we spoke about didn't we we did the team news in terms of the system with Patrick Roberts dropping down to the bench Abdullah Bar staying in the side would that be sort of back to a 4-3-3 well a kind of mismatch between a few formations within sort of the first 10 or 15 minutes didn't it we saw Job coming up into the number 10 we saw Bar dropping then coming inside the number 10 Job going out to the right both of them sort of coming now really narrow over to the left, like what we saw in the second half against Plymouth. And it was all just yeah, a little bit disjointed and it led to what was then sort of a really collapsed right hand side of the field. And Huddersfield exploited that a little bit. You know, Sarah Thomas down that side was really, really good to be honest. He was the winger of the night who stood out. Um and then obviously the goal which came from the set piece, you know, something else again, which Michael Beale has spoken about quite at length over the last week or so was what undone them. Not a traditional method in terms of crossing in and heading it in. It was obviously a striking goal and parried, about, parried out. Could Anthony Patterson have done better? Possibly. But then it's about the second balls, isn't it? It's about following up and Sonnen didn't do that and then they couldn't respond. And obviously, in the other end, at the other end, they couldn't really capitalise on any of the set pieces they had neither. So, it was just a frustrating night, a really frustrating night, a really poor performance. You know, I don't think it's been unreasonable to say that at all. Um especially after the second half against Plymouth. And I think that's what will be particularly disappointing and frustration. Uh, frustrating, sorry, for Michael Bale is because after that first half, 1-0 down against Plymouth, to then turn it around like they did, we sort of, we kind of saw the, the free flow on attack and football a little bit coming back, like what we've expected or what we've seen from Sunderland last season quite a lot. But then it just didn't happen at all. And, and you know, that paves into another conversation in terms of the away form, doesn't it? You know, that's an overarching issue, which is really troubling Sunderland at the moment and, and it is a worry you know for only four wins so far away from home and that was it was the bedrock of their campaign last year that's what carried them to the playoffs and you look at the games that they've got left to come on the road I think they go to four of the top seven currently so it doesn't really get any easier and you know they're going to have to pick up a couple of wins you know history will tell you that you need to win by and large sort of seven or eight away games in a season if you're going to that is with good home form as well obviously if you're going to get into those playoffs so you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world in terms of the league table because it's still very tight there. It's only a point, you know, four or five teams who are very much in there. But I don't know about you, it just, it just feels a little bit different, doesn't it, compared to last year where it might have been similar or they were fluctuating in and out of the playoff places. It just feels as though people aren't necessarily expecting it this time. Yeah, it's a really, I think you summed it up pretty well there. It's a really sort of bizarre time 
um, of the season as well. Obviously, the January transfer windows closed. The focus is very much on you know game by game, but it's like you say. I think the disappointing thing is is that this well this current run of games that they're in is is a real good opportunity, isn't it, to to really make your mark ahead of what is a difficult run of games as you approach the final run in. I think one of the main issues all season has been consistency. Now, they put together a run of three unbeaten, seven from nine, but that's been it, hasn't it? They, they haven't been able to sustain a run like that. You look at that run Southampton have just gone on, what was it, 20-odd games unbeaten, something like that. And th- that's the type of form that gets you in the playoffs. Now, of course, Southampton, I'm not comparing the two clubs, the vastly different trajectories where they've been, but that that is what you need. You need to put a run together. And just on the away form, I find that quite interesting as well because Sunderland have struggled to break teams down when they've had low blocks at home. So in theory, playing away from home, that should work because the, the impetus is on the home side in general to take the game to the visitors, which should in turn then free up Sunderland to play the attack and free-flowing game that they want. But then as, as Michael Beale spoke about today, it's been another game on the road where Sunderland have had a line share of possession but they just haven't been able to do anything with it when they get that final third. Yeah, and I think that's the, the biggest issue. I mean, that's obviously been the issue all season, but even the times that they did sort of get down the side, there was a couple of times they did get down the right-hand side, to be fair. You know, I was talking about the collapse right-hand side, but I think Brewston and Barr did get in once or twice in the first half. But then the final ball, there, was just, there wasn't enough bodies then in the box to, to show for anything. And the one time there might have been, you know, the final ball was poor. So that has been an issue throughout the campaign. And, you know, Michael Bale's sporting about that, hasn't it, in terms of people gambling and getting into the box. But you, you need to be creating more of those opportunities, barring one or two sort of speculative, effort, speculative efforts for, I think it was Dan Neil and Pierre Equa from range. There was no no trouble in that first half. And it realistically looking until the sort of 90th minute when Trey Hume went through on a counter-attack for Sunderland's best chance of the game. And that is from your right back. And then a couple of minutes later, the cross where I think it was Tom Lee's nearly turned into his own net. And that came from Luke O'Neill's cross wary sort of attacking players in that situation. I know Roberts had obviously gone off at that stage, which skews things a little bit, but it's just, yeah, it, it's hard to put your finger on it. And it's been a problem, not just for Michael Bale, but obviously Tony Mowbray at the start of the season as well. Um, and you touch on the consistency there. I think last season, just looking, they've, they went the last nine games unbeaten in the league. They need to go on a run like that, without a doubt, in these, in these 14 games that they've got left there's going to have to be that kind of a sustained period where they aren't winning, where they're not losing games rather. Otherwise they, they will fall short because it's so competitive. I mean, we've said it a few times this, this league, this season, the teams that are in it, it is a much tougher division and you're going to need more probably than the 69 points that Sunderland got last year to get into that top six. And that's something obviously that Michael Beale spoke about today. He said those exact words. He thinks that Sunderland are finishing the top six this year, that they're going to need more points Difficult to argue with them. I mean, there's times where Michael Beale comes across, speaks a lot of sense, says it how it is. But perhaps, I don't know, I just felt like that game against Huddersfield, as you say, it was a bit disjointed. It's, I'm, I'm very aware of, you know, the, the criticism that there's been there on Michael Beale, but sometimes like, what, it's difficult, isn't it? Like you say, to put your finger on what is going wrong because these issues that are there on the pitch aren't solely Michael's Be- Michael Beale's fault. They've, they've been there beforehand with Tony Mowbray. Mike Dodds wasn't able to win from home, albeit, look, he, he had a tiny portion of games compared to the rest of them. Just a really strange 
situation that we'll find ourselves. I mean, as I say, you know, we're at the press conference earlier today. What did you make of that? I think the the takeaway line from it was obviously Soba Thomas, Huddersfield winger, came out and said we knew we could bully Sunderland. Interesting sort of take. I don't know whether that's maybe a bit lazy to suggest that Sunderland, you know, were bullied because, yeah, they are a young side and I think it can be, you know, just one of those things where you throw away a comment and it sort of snowballs into something else. I don't know what you think of it because I, I don't think Sunderland were necessarily out outmatched, outbattled. I just think they had a really poor, poor day. It's a it's a funny one. Um, I think it's been an issue that has been certainly thrown at Sunderland since they came back into the championship. If I'm being yeah. perfectly honest, that that's through the spine of the team. They have been sometimes a little easy to play against, sometimes a little passive. If if you get teams who are going to be at you, at you and really down your throat, and you know, I mean, Jack Lark's the prime example in terms of teams doubling up on him. Now, I'm not singling him out in terms of not being up for the fight or anything like that, but. When teams do that, sometimes in, in the centre of midfield, it has been a little too easy to, to play through. Now, whether that has been in terms of the style of play, because Sunderland have been, certainly last year, it's been sort of free-flowing and maybe counter-attacking base. But this year, again, it's been a little bit muddled trying to find that, hasn't it? Um, and, you know, the, the results speak for themselves in terms of when teams do do that. Sunderland aren't overcovering it. So there is... There is a case to be had, and you understand why teams are pointing at that. Now, I think the question was asked to Michael Bale in terms of is that the sort of thing then that you pin on the dressing room door? And it could be, you know, and, and that is the sort of thing that we might that we'll see tomorrow because if they don't agree with that, then there's only one way that they can sort of turn it around, and that is by going and putting on a performance and, and sort of not showing that sort of I don't want to say a soft touch, but just sometimes easy to play against, aren't they? You know. It, Michael Bale said it very well today, to be honest, in terms of saying teams don't like to play football against us. And I, I think I'd agree with that, you know, because if if teams want to go head to head and talk to talk with Sunderland in terms of trying to play possession based or attacking football, okay, we'll they'll take you on and Sunderland will probably fancy the chances in that. Teams probably realise that they can't do that. That's why they look for other methods. And it's about now trying to find a way to combat that. You know, it's been no no secret that Probably a defensive midfield has been needed since Corey Evans went down injured over a year ago. You know, there was sort of a week, 10 days of that window left last January. Wasn't necessarily addressed in the summer in terms of that real physical presence. And then even in January gone, you know, Callum Styles has come in. Is he the sort, sort of person that will, will combat that? Probably not. You know, I'm expecting him to be another player who's very good in possession of the ball, you know, and operating a number of different areas. But that, that sort of undertone in terms of it's for me it's a centre midfield because at the back, you know, you don't necessarily see the likes of Luke O'Nine or Dan Ballard getting bullied off the ball, but they need to it does need to it feels as though they need to have a little bit more of a sort of resilience about them, certainly away from home. Yeah, just on that before we'll carry on. Um obviously website's now live, you can subscribe. Um six months of coverage for just one pound. Um obviously we're in partnership with the Fan Museum. So just just on that, um I think that's been that has been one of Sunderland's downfalls this season, hasn't it? Is finding a way to win when they can't play their pretty football, when they can't, you know, t- take tear teams apart as they have done. But this is the championship. That all right, Sunderland are good football inside, but you, the reality of it is, is that you're not going to come up against teams who are going to roll over for you. They need to find ways to win different, like different games, and it's that's that's what they haven't been able to do. They haven't been able to fine tune it and say. 
right, this isn't working. I don't necessarily think it's a plan A, plan B type thing because every game is different and every game will require a different, you know, strategy to try and to try and win it. But we haven't seen if plan A isn't working, a successful plan B. Now, again, that's not to say Michael Beale doesn't have a plan B because, as you say, we saw in the Huddersfield game, he tinkered with things slightly. Bar started out, you know, more narrow. Then there was a period of the game where he was wider, then back in. So the, there is a concerted effort there, I think, to change things up and mix things up. But it just hasn't worked yet. I think the problem is, though, as well, we haven't seen enough of that kind of free-flowing football, that yeah. attacking football where you would put teams to the sword a little bit of it in sort of September. You know, there was a Southampton win, Norwich win, yeah. uh, Sheffield Wednesday win. You know, outside of those couple of weeks, it has been sort of a little bit hit and miss, hasn't it? You know, we've we've seen so many cases of the sort of, in case of an emergency break, the Jack Clark glass, you know, and he's come out yeah. and scored the goal or made like a, like an, an assist. And when that doesn't happen, you know, it, they still aren't finding other ways into it. And it seems though that's going to continue throughout the season. And that is the problem when obviously teams do do what Huddersfield did the other night in terms of doubling up on them. There's no source of other threats. You know, I mean, we saw it a little bit against Plymouth, which is why that is frustrating because you get that performance after what had been a tough period for Michael Bill. Let's not make no mistakes about that. You're then thinking, right, go on, go and kick on. And it was just, it was very laboured for me on, on Wednesday night. Um, and that it's a problem that they're going to have to address. And, and the thing is, you can't necessarily throw it at other teams because everyone's sort of had the same schedule this week as well. Someone at home coming out of it and then Huddersfield, obviously not the longest journey. It, it, it feels as though that's the sort of game that Sunderland would need to convert points in if you're going to have a sustained push to, to reach the playoffs for me. Yeah, it feels like we have this conversation every two to three games or three to four games, doesn't it? And a lot of it will go back on the consistency and look, I know you touched on the defensive midfielder sort of area there. I mean, I agree, but that's something that like, we can't address mid-season now. It has to come in-house. It has There has to be a solution to that in-house, doesn't there? And I think, I mean, a question I mean, I'd pose to you, I think a lot of people would be, what would be Sunderland's best team yeah. set up at the moment? And I, and I don't think you would get a definitive answer from uh, X amount of people who asked yeah, that question to you because it, it is very much up in the air. Um, and that in itself is probably a problem as well. You know, if you can't really nail down, certainly in the attack in the attacking areas, who you you would prefer to start. Now, a lot of that has obviously been down to the striking issues through the middle. It looks as though Roosin's probably been the one who looks as though he's made himself that that number one candidate. Although again, that'll be another interesting one tomorrow, just in terms of him starting the last two games. Will he complete yeah. the week, or will we see Mason Burst? Or you know, for the job that he. He did in the first half at Middlesbrough, possibly in terms of linking up with the wingers. And yeah, I just think in terms of getting a settled team, you can't really say that what your preferred team would be. And, and that yeah. you imagine that would probably be an issue for, for the managers that we've had this season as well. Just on that, do you think um, Burstall will come in um, for this weekend? Because I know we've just obviously been at the press hub. Beale said that there's a number who will come in. There'll be one or two who will change. Nazari Rusin and Burstow was one that he hinted at and he didn't give obviously any categoric changes that he would make. What do you think? Yeah, I think through the middle and then on the wide right are the two that will probably be open, won't they, in terms of whether he sticks with that Bill of Bar or possibly brings in Romain Mundell. You know, there were suggestions with that as well. I do expect him to feature. Obviously, he came off the bench on Wednesday night. At, we might see 
him a little bit more at the weekend. I think Barb probably will keep his spot, but through the middle, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see Burstow be given the shirt because, you know, I, I think for, for as much as it would be accepted that he didn't play particularly well against Middlesbrough, there was certainly in the first half that you can sort of identify the job that he was there to do in terms of linking up through like deep in that role and then spreading it wide through either a Clark or a bar, and that might be something that Michael Bale looks to tap into uh, at the weekend. What's interesting is, though, is the dynamic that this one brings up, just obviously with the Tony Mowbray factor. Obviously, he knows this squad of players. He, he knows their strengths. He knows their attributes. We're talking about the physicality aspect there. He'll know that himself in terms of games that he struggled when he was in charge of Sunderland. So how will he be able to adapt his Birmingham side to set up against Sunderland in, in that respect? And does it give them the advantage? You know, probably so. He knows the best of those players, you would like to think. So Michael Bale's going to have to probably come up with an idea or two to try and mix things up, you would think. Yeah, we've had this coming through from Joe. Have you written that yourself? Or... <laughs> yeah, plug ourselves. No. Yeah, but obviously he thinks um, Hamir deserves a chance. It's interesting one with Hamir, isn't it? Because I think it's very much he's third in the pecking order, isn't he? Seems that I way, yeah. I watched him for the under-21s and albeit he scored a goal, a couple of link-up play here and there, but... I don't know, he, he still lacks a lot for me in terms of, you know, playing at the championship level. He, he was a lot more mobile, but there was one or two times at under-21s level where the ball's going into him and he was just dispossessed too easily. Mm-hmm. Now he dropped in. Uh, I know he had that cameo the, the other month where he was OK off the bench, but, yeah, I think I think he's very much third in the pecking order, isn't he? Um, I think that mobility is the key word there in terms yeah. of what you tend to need from a striker at this level nowadays is someone who's going to really go and press from the front and be that first man, that first line of defence. And obviously it's been a difficult transition from coming over from a different culture, a different league, different style of play to coming in, you know, as a young lad as well, to try and grasp that. And that is probably why he has fallen down the peck and order and, and then needed minutes in the 21s. What I would say is though, I, in games, I don't think it's beyond the possibilities of, you know, why not throw him in in, in terms yeah. of two up there or three? Not in ter- not like for like and leaving him up there as a lone striker, you know. Yeah. He, he could, there's no reason for me to say that he couldn't come on and in the final 10 minutes and, and, and be there as part of a two rather yeah. than trying to ask him to do sort of a different job and then the team having to adapt just to him being maybe a different sole striker than what sort of a, a burst or a Rusin would be. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he does get over the last sort of 14 games of the season, you know, we spoke about it in January, didn't we? He was the one that I think we all probably thought might have gone out on loan and yeah. ended up being my ender. Does that suggest that he, he <coughs> didn't really possibly get a couple of more fit, more appearances then? Yeah. I guess time will tell. But yeah, I certainly think that he's some, something different from Burstow and Roosan, isn't he, in terms of just he can probably throw balls into the box a little bit more at him in, in the hope that he could win some flick-ons or something like that. Yeah, I think just obviously to go back to the prior point you made about Tony Mowbray slightly having the edge, that is a really, really interesting dynamic that Michael Beale finds himself in. And I know that we've had conversations, obviously, off off stream, off the podcast. If there was one game that Michael Beale would want to win, it would be this one. Not just, he hasn't, he hasn't come out and said that, but just everything that comes with it. I mean, there's extra... He was asked today about whether there was any extra scrutiny on his tactical approach coming up against Moby this one. I honestly don't care. I honestly don't think Michael B will care 
how his side plays as long as they come away with a win this weekend. Yeah, it feels like it also feels like a game that he probably doesn't really want deep down, yeah. just because of all the added baggage that comes with it. You know, I mean, it's not been it's not been a great start for him. You know, there's there's been mitigation within that, and there's some things maybe taken a little bit out of context as well. But you know, it, it without doubt could have been a better start for Michael Beale. I think he was asked the question today, you know, about Tony Mowbray and, you know, Michael Beale answered it in terms of saying Tony Mowbray doesn't need to, he doesn't have to prove anything to the Sunderland supporters. I just wonder whether there's a little bit inside of him, just off what you're saying there, thinking, do I need to prove something? And, and it would be the perfect game for him to to come out and, you know, if, if Sunderland were to go and perform really well and get a result, it would be a little bit of a line in the sand moment, wouldn't it? it would finally trying to maybe get beyond sort of the last two months and really kick on and, and not, likewise, obviously putting... Uh, Wednesday night and the result to bed there as well and trying to get on a, a decent run of form. Yeah, I mean, that's something that he, he himself has, has said, isn't it? That he, he has everything to prove at, at Sunderland and it has been difficult for him. And But fans at the same time have been right to question, um, obviously, tactical side of things. I think that's whatever. You, you pay your money, you can go and judge however you want. It felt like after the Plymouth game and, you know, the unbeaten in three, that felt, like, for me, like that was the line in the sand. Yeah. But it's important, just as he speaks about control and the players and the emotional side of that, it's also important as, as as fans that you also don't get sucked into that, like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It's it's so important to try and maintain some balance, you know, across the, the course of the, the games to come. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very cliche, isn't it? That, you know, we don't get too high when we win, we don't get too low yeah. when we lose. But it's hard not to in the world of football, isn't it? It changes it changes so much from game to game, which in this league is almost day to day. It's day to every other day, isn't it? You know, on Saturday night, people coming away from the stadium and I'm thinking, right, okay, like you say, we've finally sort of seen some progress here. Can we kick on? Three days later, it's sort of crashing back down to earth and thinking, you know, that the world's going to end and you know the playoffs are. We've got no chance of getting into the playoffs from a Sunderland point of view. The reality is, it's somewhere in the middle, isn't it? You know, yeah. Michael Bale's still finding his feet with his team, with his players. Um, it's not going to go the way that they want it to go every week. You know, he said that again today as well, which it's not. You know, there's some difficult fixtures coming up beyond these next two as well. If we look into next month, heading towards the Easter period, so it's about just finding that balance. Um, you know, the league table will tell you that there's only one point in it, um, and as long as that remains the case, then. That's going to go right down to the final day of the season, which is what happened last season. There's not at the moment. There's nothing to suggest from that sense. Just just looking at the table, that it won't follow a similar pattern. But I do get, you know, when you see performances like that from from Sunderland in midweek away from home to a side sort of struggling, where you think that they've got to go and really sort of stamp their authority on the game. Why they might end up falling short, you know, we, we discussed after the Middlesbrough game, didn't we? How it felt a little bit like two teams who in a similar spot and. How they might just miss out because they're lacking that sort of cutting edge in the final third. I don't necessarily think my mind's changed from that, but it's so tight, you know. It just showed what that that running games, the win over Stoke, the draw with Millsborough, and the win over Plymouth gets them right back up there and, and, and back involved in the conversation. Equally, if you then go and lose a couple back to back, you could probably find yourself towards like in the bottom half or pretty much mid table. It's such a crazy league. Yeah, just just on this point in particular, is I think what I've noticed is there's quite a lot of reference in the age of the squad, isn't there? Now, to say, obviously, we want to get promotion, we want to finish in the playoffs, but then it's as soon as there's sort of a, a bad result, so to speak, it, it 
the narrative while we are a young team it, it it can't work both ways can it like you have to again the the line is in between yes these are brilliant young players and to a degree it's expected but i don't know i'm just struggling with that sort of side of things i don't know what you think yeah i think that there's an element that's probably where the sort of the bullying and the physical aspect comes into it as well i think it would be it's easy for a team to say oh they're a young team so we can really sort of try and impose ourselves on them and, and get on top of them. Um, it's, I thought, again, I thought Michael Bale answered that quite well. You know, how, at what point do you become experienced? You know, there are players yeah. in in this squad who have quite a lot of experience. And, you know, Luke O'Neill's played over 250 games for the club. Dan Ballard, if you look at his loan spells with Blackpool, Millwall, he's got, I think he's obviously played over 50 games for Sunderland now as well. A lot of AFL experience there, Pat Roberts, a lot of AFL experience, Jack Clark, you know, so th- there is experience in there, but it's, I do get it in terms of, you know, we spoke about the grey hairs and things like that up front, you know, and you look at what Kiefer Moore was doing with Ipswich, I think it's three goals already in three games. It's fine-tuned, isn't it? You know, there's, there's context with it, you know. Um, yes, it's the only score in the league, but there is experience in terms of playing in the league. Is there that now in key areas, and it's getting that balance right? Obviously, you can't do anything about that now until until the summer. And you've got to ride it out and, and go with what you've got, which is again part of the frustration the supporters have had. Sort of really going back to the summer, isn't it? When when the same issues were, were coming up then. That's it, isn't it? It's I th- like anything. I think this season, because of where they finished last year, obviously inside the playoffs, and now to be just a point away, it's disappointing when you see. You don't, oh, there you go, there's another opportunity gone type thing. There's, there's plenty of football still to be played. It's it's cautious optimism, I think, isn't it? Because, yeah, as I say, you are just a point outside the playoffs. But at the same time, that Huddersfield game in particular is a game that you should be winning and it's not a game that you see your rivals or promotion rivals go and drop points. Now, that's not that's not an entitlement, that's just realistic about the ambition of where this club wants to get to you can't come yeah. out and say we want to finish in the playoffs we want to get promoted to the premier league and then go to a team that's struggling at the bottom half of the table and then come away with nothing yeah it's it's exactly right you know it's about finding that happy medium with the expectations i mean there's a lot of talk the club spent four years in league one and i get it you know you come oh, back yeah. out out into the championship and you're only in your second year so from in the building at the club, you can turn on and say, well, yeah, we're doing okay, you know, in, the, in that aspect. But then if you look at the bigger picture of Sunderland as a club, I think we've spoke about it on the pod before, it's a club when it's not in the Premier League, it needs to be competing to get into the Premier League. So yeah. if, you, if you're if getting results like that, you know, I mean, they've lost as many games now this season as they, as they did last season. So yeah. is, is the progress there from last season where, you know, they're expected to kick on? I think it was said in the summer, you know, Christian Speakman had come out and said that we you know we're not content with just get just getting in the playoffs. Next season we've got to push on and, and try and get into the top two. Now I know obviously that's been changed because of the sides and the quality of the teams that have come down. And you know, obviously Ipswich have really impressed this season as well. But they've never really threatened. They've never been in any contention for that sort of top four. So when you look back at last season, and yes, you can say overachieved last season then it's exactly what you're bringing up the point there. It's managing the expectations of this is a club that, you know, I think I think Michael Bale said it today, you know, it's a Premier League club that's in the Championship. He's probably, you know, he's probably right there. So then 
the expectancy is to always be competing for that. So if it's always if it, if there's a point where it's looking as though you're not going to be competing for that, where there has been times, regardless of what the table said, you're just going off performances and results. It hasn't felt yeah. like that this season. You can understand yeah. why there's frustration there. Yeah, and as you say there, the message isn't solely coming from the fans. It's not like it's all one-sided where fans are saying, we should be competing for the top. Far from it. Far from it. They're just going performance by performance and, and saying, oh, well, that was that was terrible or, or that was good or we had a good 45 minutes there. Heading into this weekend against Birmingham, it, we don't think there'll be any Alex Pritchard there because we think he'll be injured and miss the game. Dion Sanderson, another former black cat, he's expected to come back in. Tony Mowbray hasn't had it all all his way at uh, St Andrews since going there, has he? No, it hasn't been plain sailing. But again, I mean, it's been a strange, strange old season for them, hasn't it? You know, they were started so well under John Eustace, then they decided to to make the change for, for Wayne Rooney and sort of chase whatever it was they were going there, whether it be a style of play or or, or the, a profile of having a, a name brought in and that worked out well it didn't work out at all did it you know um really struggled and they've now found themselves bit, well, they're pretty much in a relegation battle aren't they if we're being honest so they're certainly looking over the shoulders rather than looking up at the moment so Tony Warbury's having to go in there and almost fight fires a little bit hasn't he um yeah. the style of play you know I think they were trying to bring Wayne Rooney in to, to build sort of this out from the back and this possession based you know attacking football which will lend itself to what Mowbray has done here at Sunderland. So, but yeah, the results have been a little bit hit and miss. Um, but there's just so it's a, it's such a strange one, isn't it? You know, everything that's kind of it's a penny for, a penny for Tony Mowbray's thoughts, thoughts going into it, how he's going to feel coming up against a side that I think he, he you know really enjoyed his time at Sunderland, mm-hmm. didn't he? You know, and, and he he had a lot of success. Um, I think there's a lot of fans who would still like him to be in charge. I think there's a lot who will also say that it was the right decision for him to be moved on at the time that he was moved on. So there's a lot of different dynamics going into this one that, that make it a really sort of fascinating game rather than sort of the average run in the mill game for, for me. It's, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how, how it's going to play out. And just going back to what we were saying earlier, how Michael Bale sort of tries to set up to to try. You can almost try and outthink yourself with this one because yeah. of how much Mowbray knows about the squad and how he might think that they'll be set up. So, will you do sort of right for doing wrong almost? Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of interesting subplots to this one. Yeah, definitely. Just on, obviously, I've been looking online. Obviously, I don't cover Birmingham City, so I wouldn't I wouldn't watch them week in, week out. There's enough to watch with, with Sunderland. But just some of the takeaways online have, has been from fans that it's a similar sort of rhetoric, isn't it? Birmingham are getting lots of shots on goal, but they're not, they're not converting those into chances. That's something that Sunderland find themselves in a similar position too. So it could either be a classic, yeah. it could be a classic yeah. and be a 4 4 or something, yeah. or it could be, could be a nil nil with either side struggling to score. It's just, it, it's a really strange game to call, I think. Yeah. And, and it's, that's an interesting point as well, because, you know, as much as Sunderland have been indifferent under Michael Bale, they were indifferent under Tony Mowbray as well. Let, let's not make any excuses there. Outside of that period that I spoke about earlier so in September and early October, I think they might have finished going into the Birmingham game possibly when they won at the Stadium of Light. There was a lot of sort of, it felt quite laboured and just performances that were, yeah. they, they struggled to to do much with. Um, so that has been a theme th- throughout the season. And as you say, it's obviously something that's now gone on down there. But how much of that plays into your striker, it just it, it shows how critical that area of the field is. I mean, we're not sort of teaching anyone how to ride a bike here, you know, 
of course it's the most important area but you know when when you see what Sunderland had last year you know in, in the goal threats that they had even with Ross Stewart and I know he only played I think it was like 14 games was it 11 goals it, it just tells you how, how important it is if you've got somebody you can just get the head on the end of something or get the foot on the end of something and turn games like last day uh, on Wednesday night into even a 1-1 draw you know yeah. or, or a 1-0 win um th- those are the fine moments that that get you into the playoffs and challenging for automatic promotion rather than kind of the situation that we find ourselves in where there's a lot of teams who are having similar issues up front that are now kind of can't find any consistency in a, in a scrambling around for realistically probably only one playoff spot because you would think that West Brom are going to just about have enough. Yeah, certainly makes for an exciting game on Saturday. Well, I hope it is. I hope there's plenty to write about. Thanks for joining us again. We'll join you. Uh, we'll be back with another video at the start of next week. So deep diving all the Birmingham fallout. Hopefully another three points for Sunland. If you haven't already, make sure you head over to We Are Sunland and sub- subscribe. It's just £1 for six months. We're in partnership with the Sunland Farm Museum. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>